We welcome back Bob Doherty, Intelligence and Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. Uh, Bob has become one of my favorite guests here. I learn a lot from him, and he, he you know, he's a, he's a, he gives it to us straight w- without political bias, and he has experience. A U.S. defense contracting firm, they are Counterterrorism Watch, specializing in intelligence, counterterrorism, and special ops training. Bob has actually worked for the past 25 years as an operations officer for the CIA. He has deep operational experience in the U.S., Europe, Central America, South America, and the Middle East. Hey, Bob, how you doing? More than a pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks, Leslie. How you doing, young lady? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I know we're going to talk Ukraine, but can I just jump in real quick with this thing that's going down in Jordan, allegedly, tomorrow? Um, uh, as, as you probably know, Bob, um, Jordan almost uh, was, in a sense, negotiating with terrorists, was going to do a prisoner swap for the downed Jordanian, uh, Jordanian fighter pilot that was part of the U.S.-led coalition, a prisoner that they had asked for, a woman who had done a failed suicide bombing attempt and was in a Jordanian prison, was supposed to be swapped. Um, I guess they didn't do it in time. They killed the fighter pilot. Allegedly, a video today shows that he was burned alive. And um, that now Jordan is set to execute this woman uh, tomorrow. Uh, a couple of things. One, uh, Bob, are you okay talking about this for a couple of minutes before we go into Ukraine? Of course. Okay, great. Two. Why would ISIS want, one, a woman, and two, a woman that failed her mission? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say what their strategy was here. It, they may have uh, wanted this in-game all along, that they were going to coax along the Jordanian government and then embarrass them and humiliate them by executing the pilot uh, before they turned them over. So, in other words, they had no... They had no um, end goal of turning the pilot over ever. So that's part of their propaganda tool. The other thing, of course, is if they legitimately wanted to get this woman back, it sends a message to their other fighters that if you are captured by the enemy, which is the West and and, and Western uh, Arab governments, that we'll try to get you back. I tend to think it's the former. I don't think they ever planned on turning this guy over. And as a matter of fact, in addition to burning him alive, showing their savagery, and in every contradiction of what Islam is about, they've also issued a list of other Jordanian pilots' names, um, social media sites, emails. I even think some addresses in Jordan that they obviously got from torturing this guy. And they're urging their fighters to strike at these other pilots as well. So this is a pure terrorist insurgency guerrilla organization operating and doing what they do best. Uh, yeah, most most uh, definitely. Um, some in Jordan don't support the strikes because they believe that the Jordanian pilots are killing Muslims. Um, is this bad messaging? Uh, Jordanian has said they're killing extremists. Do they need to go further to get support in that country and other Muslim countries? You know, to folks like the tribal people and, in, 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 you know, the Bedouins, for example, in Jordan, who, you know, have no cell phones or computers or access to news. Yeah, and it's all, look, guerrilla warfare, which is what we're talking about now, ISIS or the Islamic State, is a terrorist-slash-guerrilla organization. They, they fit kind of all those categories, and they're a state as well. They're employing all the classical guerrilla methods of, of propaganda and messaging, and they have a very, very sophisticated message that goes out. So to counter that, you need to be equally adept nimble and sophisticated as well. We at the U.S. utterly fail at that mission. Uh, the Jordanians and the, and the Saudis are a little bit better at it because they understand some of the nuances. So I think the Jordanians, who have a great record in terms of 
counterterrorism and, and, and adhering to the right line in terms of Islam will probably do a pretty good job of getting the message across to their people, which is a critical component of any counterinsurgency strategy. All right, two quick gut things. One, they're going to execute this woman tomorrow. It doesn't seem that, you know, th- this is a green light. It doesn't seem yellow. Um, is this a bad idea? Now, I'm not talking politically about capital punishment, executing this woman, that kind of a thing. Um, but will that set off, you know, ISIS? Uh, not, I mean, they're already doing bad stuff. But, you know, will this just fan the flames for ISIS? I don't, you know, I, set them off even to do worse than they're already doing. I mean, how much worse can it get? So True. I don't agree that we should not do things because we're afraid of what the of the reprisals might be. Let's make a decision. Let's move forward and, and accept the consequences. Whether they want to execute this woman, whether her crime was deserving of that, is I don't know Jordanian law, quite frankly. I don't okay. know if that's in accordance with their law. That's up to them. But I don't think it's going to cause some massive wave of reprisals, other than what's already happening. Uh, do you think burning alive is the new beheading? And I say that. Do you think that they, they did this specifically because it was a Jordanian uh, pilot, somebody who was specifically shooting them, whereas others were journalists or aid workers, um, uh, that they upped uh, not just death. I mean, they, they they do say there's no, hopefully, no, a very minimal suffering and beheading, obviously much, much suffering to be burnt alive. Or do you think people are becoming desensitized to the beheadings because they're so regular now that ISIS knows that and, and they've upped their game? Or was this was this a special case for that special prisoner? Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and to me, um, to me, quite frankly, um, the moral and ethic of it is killing someone. How you do it in, in, a, in, a, in a way doesn't matter. You've already crossed that Rubicon when you right. decided you're going to kill an innocent person. So, I mean, this is all for shock and awe. Right. And, again, I just have to go back to the savagery of it and, and how much they're just violating the basic tenets of the religion that they say that they're representing. It's just outrageous. Absolutely. We're going to take a break. Bob, when we come back, we're going to talk Ukraine for uh, the remainder of uh, the hour. So uh, thank you. for. I know I threw that uh, at you from left field. Bob Doherty, Intelligence and Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. is our guest. Follow me on Twitter to tweet me at Leslie Marshall and follow them at CTWatchINC. Bob Doherty, who for the past 25 years was an operations officer for the CIA, is now the Intelligence and Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc., a U.S. defense contracting firm specializing in intelligence, counterterrorism, and special ops training. Bob, thanks for holding a welcome back. Um, the U.S. has clearly uh, shifted its stance on military aid to Ukraine. Now, we were already sending aid to Ukraine, but we want to step it up. I-, I think people know that if you just you know, write down on paper who has what, Russia clearly has the advantage not only with weapons but with people power uh, to annihilate Ukraine, correct? Well, yeah, militarily, but what we're talking about here, again, is is a guerrilla movement or an insurgency where Russia, the the state of Russia, is backing, you know, separatists in Ukraine itself. Now, these are ethnic Russians who have been living and working and and have long history in Ukraine, and now the state of Russia is coming in and supporting them with aid, military weapons, supplies, and probably direct advisors, Russian advisors as well. So they're certainly involved there, and they seem to be, you know, at least having the upper hand against the Ukrainian government. Yeah, most definitely. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. In Joplin, Missouri, line three is Tamara. Hi, Tamara. Good afternoon. Question or comment for Bob Doherty? Yes, I have a question, Bob. I'm 
been to your website and I've done a lot of reading and I cannot put two and two together as to why the Arab Muslim nations aren't joining in on stopping these terrorist Muslims from killing other Muslims. They, they claim they don't want to kill other Muslims, but these are Muslim terrorists killing other Muslims. And the UN was initially created to stop these kinds of things within other countries and to join forces in which to make sure that people's freedoms and rights are not violated. But why is the U.S. always the one that has to spend trillions of dollars to go in there and stop the Muslims from killing other Muslims? Why aren't the Arab nations doing anything about it? Bob? Yeah, it's a great question, um, and thank you for going to our website. There's a couple good, There's a couple reasons. One, militarily, most Arab nations don't have a history of military prowess and a tradition, so they're just not that good. We saw that in, in the Gulf Wars when the U.S. Uh, retook Kuwait. Um, they have to be very sensitive to their own people in terms of, hey, we're going we're gonna to go, we as an Arab government are going to go out and kill Muslims to present prevent them from killing other Muslims. It's a very sensitive internal issue for a lot of these governments, including Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Egypt. And then third, uh, they are doing things. I would say Saudi Arabia and Jordan are number one and number two in terms of taking up the fight against these extremists, against these terrorists. It's done quietly. There's not a lot of fanfare about it. The U.S. has strong relationships with both those countries. So you don't see it reported that much in the press, but I can assure you that it's happening behind the scenes. The Saudis have been extremely successful at rehabilitating some of these uh, these terrorists or bringing them back into the fold and, and brutally cracking down on them when necessary inside the kingdom. Equally, the Jordanians have one of the best counterterrorism records in the whole Middle East. So there, there are some flashes of, of hope there, but you are correct. In general, the Arab countries have not been able to step up and stop these extremists for a variety of reasons, and unfortunately, that job, if we want it, falls to us. Okay, Tamara, thank you uh, for your question, and thank you uh, for your call. Uh, so let's talk now uh, again about Ukraine. Now that the U.S. is considering sending not just aid and more aid, but lethal aid to help the Ukrainian government fend off the attacks from the pro-Russian rebels in the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, talk to us, Bob, about, one, if that's the right step the United States should take, and, and why, firstly. Oh God, that's a that's a you know hundred million dollar question, right, Leslie? So, look, there's two sides to this equation. Re- Ukraine is right in Russia's backyard. It would be as if Russia was coming over to aid Canada because we were funding Canadian separatists. So Russia, Ukraine is in, within their sphere of influence. Yet Ukraine is also a sovereign country. We know for a fact, despite Russian denials, that they are directly assisting the Russian separatists in Ukraine. Okay, and this is. Typical Russian propaganda saying that they're not. So our choice is, do we go in and likewise assist the Ukrainian government maintain their sovereignty? And in essence, what we would be entering again is another Cold War with Russia, where through surrogates, 
we're basically fighting each other. I don't think anybody thinks that the Russians and the Americans should be fighting each other directly again, but we're definitely getting into that Cold War scenario. I would say this, again, going back to our earlier comments, we should not be concerned about if the Russians are going to up the ante if we provide lethal aid to Ukraine. The Russians have already upped the ante. They're already backing a separatist movement in Ukraine. So we would kind of just be bringing it even, so to speak, by providing lethal aid to the Ukrainians, in my view. Uh, okay. Uh, but so people understand, why does the United States need to care about this? And I say that because, Bob, you know, a lot of Americans are very domestic minded and, you know, you know, they don't look at the Ukraine as being a threat to Americans like ISIS here and abroad. So why, why should America care? Why should Americans care? I really can't make a strong argument, you know, either way, to tell you the truth, uh, Leslie, other than this is a sovereign country whose independence is being threatened. But there are many cases of that around the world. Are we going to be the world's policemen in all these conflicts? No, we're not. I think the point here is this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not favoring either side. One thing that is a fact is Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, there's a couple things. When you rise through the Russian intelligence service, the KGB, now the SVR, like he did, when you rise to become a leader within Russia, by definition, you have a couple things. You're highly intelligent, you're very ruthless, you're cunning, and you're kind of a bully. That you need those characteristics to survive in that system, especially to rise to the top of the heap, so to speak. So given that he's all those things, how do you deal with him? Well, a bully understands one thing, and that's power, in my view. So if we want to stop Putin from being the aggressor in Ukraine and possibly being the aggressor in other countries, maybe we make a stand in the Ukraine, in the Ukraine by aiding the Ukrainian government. If we decide not to do that, then the risk we could run is that he will become aggressive in other countries surrounding Russia against U.S. interests. So that's the equation that we're faced with, um, the decision-making process that's going on right now in Washington. Uh, there are a lot of terms that are being thrown around for people that don't know uh, the military and, and no weapons. Uh, this aid would come in the form of so-called, quote, defensive lethal aid. Uh, can you tell us what that includes, what type of weaponry that includes? Yeah, I mean, specifically, Leslie, that would be like anti-tank missiles, okay? Uh, very effective against armored personnel carriers, against tanks that the Russians have purchased at. That might include anti -air, more advanced anti-aircraft systems uh, to provide protection against fighter aircraft and bomber aircraft. That would include um, counter-artillery and counter-mortar systems where the Russians are using, or the Russian separatists are using very heavy artillery, multiple tube rocket systems and inflicting a lot of damage on the Ukrainians. These types of defensive systems would be able to pinpoint where that fire is coming from very quickly to allow the Ukrainians to attack those type of systems and put them out of, put them out of business. So those are the type of defensive lethal systems that they're talking about. And when we look at this type of weaponry, there are people out there who also say, okay, one, do we have the money to be doing this? And two, are we taking that weaponry that we'd be sending from an arsenal that would be taking away from our own military uh, if they were needing of that? We don't know what tomorrow holds for us, in a sense, with, with what's going on in the world right now. That's a very good question, and, and, and I would say on, on the latter point, yet, yeah, no, we're not seeking away from an inventory that we would need. Unfortunately, the world is awash with arms, and we are one of the leading, if not the leading producer and exporter of weapons. So that's really not a consideration. Um, 
you know, can we afford it? I always used to just draw, it caused me heartache when I thought about how much foreign aid and military, direct military, indirect, and regular humanitarian aid we give. But when you look at it as a percentage of our GDP and you look at it as a percentage of the federal government budget, I believe it comes out to about 1%. So that's not really a lot when you're talking about our, our federal budget. So I think we can afford it. The question is, do we want to do it or not? And, we, you know, I haven't seen polls on this, and maybe because this is just coming up now, but what has, if, if you know, Bob, the American response and opinion been with regard to uh, assisting uh, Ukraine with military aid, you know, money in, in any capacity? I haven't seen it either, Leslie. I, I tend to think along the lines of what you said, that most Americans probably don't care um, one way or the other, and they're probably a little bit sick of, of us being involved in wars overseas. Um, probably most people would say if, you know, the Russians are being aggressive and they're killing innocent people and we can supply military aid to the Ukrainian government to help fight that, I'd be for that. But I, I would think most people would, would definitely draw the line at saying we don't want any Americans directly involved in this in, in, in whatever capacity. What do you think the response, if we in fact do this, and I know this is being contemplated by uh, the government right now, what do you think the response, uh, what kind of response does this elicit from the Russian uh, government if in fact we, we do this? Well, again, they're already, you know, they've already upped the ante. They upped the ante a long time ago in terms of providing direct assistance to the separatists in Ukraine. Military equipment, heavy military equipment, missiles, tanks, um, lots of munitions and, and weapons, and direct Russian military advisors that are in eastern Ukraine fighting with the separatists and giving them guidance and advice. So, you know, the, the only up the ante that you could probably do is directly involve mainline Russian military units in the fight. And that certainly would be up in the ante. Um, so who knows if Putin would do that or not if we increase aid to Ukraine. Again, he's a bully. He's going to try to intimidate and bully. So we need to be prepared and be thinking two or three moves ahead of what our responses are going to be. Back in July of last year, Americans were wary of involvement in uh, the Ukrainian conflict. There was a Huffington Post YouGov uh, poll that showed, but like you said, we haven't had uh, the, um, you know, I think that is the most recent polling. That's what my uh, producers say. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you uh, getting me that. Um, right now, we have a question of money, as you know, Bob, with what's going to be budgeted, how much is going to be budgeted, what's going to be financed you know, where money is going to run out. This is probably, I know that Ukraine may need the help and need it now, but not the best time for America to be writing checks or sending weapons overseas with this little economic showdown we have going on in D.C. uh, because the military obviously, uh, you know, is involved. Um, If uh, there, you know, if if a, a budget isn't passed to keep what we have running in place financially and even add to that with regard to the Pentagon and the military and, and, and other things that um, of, affect those who've been in the military, people that might be border patrol agents with Homeland Security now as an example. Yeah, I think, I think you know, again, we're not talking about sending people to Ukraine. We're talking about sending equipment uh, and maybe some people to train them on equipment, very few. That's not, we have, we have those, we have that inventory sitting somewhere. I guarantee you that. And actually, it could be a stimulus to the economy if more needs to be produced. So I don't see that as a big reason not to do it. 
Um, it's just a, a political question it w- is really what it comes down to. And, you know, we have to make that decision. Is our st- the strategic interest of the United States at, at considerable risk here if we allow Russia through Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine to gradually destabilize that country or maybe even take a significant part of it over? And, and again, you and I can't make that calculation. That has to be made in Washington looking at all the factors. And speaking of these uh, factors, Ukraine is not a NATO country, correct? And correct. D- does that mean that they need our help more? Well, yeah. If it was a NATO country, I think there would be no there would be no question here. We would have been in sooner and a lot heavier, obviously, uh, bound by our, our our treaty obligations with, within NATO. That's for sure. Um, I don't think Ukraine is as strong as most NATO countries, so they probably do need our assistance more than a NATO country would. And and like you have said, look, this is not an easy fix, right? This is not, okay, you know, uh, you know, we simply inject more weapons and, you know, then we have a, you know, solution to this crisis. This is not going to solve the escalating situation there. Uh, This is a band-aid for something that needs major surgery, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, it comes down to a more fundamental question, Leslie, and one of all of us in this field ask from time to time, so what is the role of the United States? And I think Woodrow Wilson was talking about it before the First World War. And the, and the basic question, if you really want to get down to it, is, is anything beyond our shores that happens in any other foreign country worth the, the valueless, the, 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 the infinite value of our blood and treasure, and our blood and treasure being the blood of our young sons and daughters and our treasure being our national wealth. If, if the answer is yes, then we need to spend blood and treasure to support that cause. If the answer is no, then we probably shouldn't spend our precious blood and treasure. And that's the ultimate question, what it gets down to. Uh, most definitely. We have some uh, tweets I'm going to share with you. Philip says, we should have given the Ukrainians this aid when Putin was taking Crimea. Agree or disagree? I think, you know, the Crimea thing to me, I I joke with my friends, you know, that was a done deal. Um, The majority of Crimeans were ethnic Russians. I think it was over 60 percent. They had former naval uh, uh, military bases there. So I I think that was kind of, you know, that was going to happen. And we probably didn't need to step in the way of that. But I would have kind of drawn the red line there then, like Crimea no more. I mean, you kind of, don't you see, Leslie, some some whispers of World War II, the annexation of Czechoslovakia by Hitler, you know, peace with honor um, with the Brits. It's, I don't want to fall into that trap where we give Putin all these green lights and he becomes more and more aggressive throughout Europe and moving forward you know, trying to extend the Russian sphere of influence, I would have taken a much firmer line after they annexed Crimea and said, okay, understand that, but not not anymore. Bob, thank you for joining us. Bob Doherty, he is Intelligence and Counterintelligence Director at Counterterrorism Watch, Inc. Check out their website, as you heard one of our callers did, ctwatch.us. Find out more. It's very educational. And on Twitter, follow them there, at ctwatchinc. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. 
Participating locations plus tax limited time offer. Prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.